The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we will discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. And today we're discussing the first two episodes of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Caitlin Fasista. Hey, Caitlin. Hi. Thomas Salerno. Hey, Thomas. Hey there, Don. And Thomas Enherho. Hey, Thomas. Good to be here, Dom. All right, folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Middle Earth in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any podcast directory or any podcast app. You'll also find us on social media at Facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or on Twitter, where we're at SQPN or on Instagram, where we're at StarQuest Network. So as I mentioned up front, we're going to be discussing the first two episodes of the new Rings of Power store uh, uh TV show, uh, sorry, streaming series. Um, I, I get those those mixed up. I'm old. So uh, <laughs> they are titled A Shadow of the Past and Adrift. Uh, so let me give a recap of what happens in these first two episodes. We are introduced to Galadriel as a little girl in Valinor who endures bullies, but is comforted by her brother Finrod. And we learn about the two trees, Morgoth and the War of the Silmarils in abbreviated form. And then we're off to Galadriel's quest to avenge her brother's death by hunting down Sauron, who everyone else thinks is dead. When she returns from an unsuccessful hunt, her friend Elrond convinces her to accept the gift of the High King Gil-galad to return to the Undying Lands in the West, while he finally declares the War of the Silmarils ended. She accepts it first, reluctantly, but as the boat is just approaching the point of no return, she jumps in the ocean to swim back, only to encounter some shipwrecked humans, men, among whom is Halbrand. Meanwhile, down in the Southlands, elves are continuing to guard the descendants of the men who had thrown in their support to Morgoth in the war. One elf, Arendir, has fallen in love with the human healer Bronwyn. Uh, he's told it's time to ship out, the war's over, but he's reluctant to leave her, plus there's some um, weird things going on. Elsewhere, a tribe of Harfoots, the <laughs> proto-hobbits, are hiding from men, but they detect some bad omens in the sky. One Harfoot, Nori, stumbles upon a man who has fallen from the sky in a meteor, and the man cannot communicate with her, yet he has power. Elrond, meanwhile, has been sent to Aregion to help Celebrimbor the smith with a big new project. Uh, I think I know what it is. And Elrond has the idea to enlist the help of the doors of Khazad-dûm and his friend Prince Durin. But Durin's holding a grudge, and he's also keeping a secret, along with his dad, from the elves. The end. Uh, so lots of details. I I, I uh, glided over there, but that's the 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 basic what happens. So this is that we finally got it after all this time, all this anticipation, all this talk. What's your overall first impression, Thomas Salerno? What, what's your overall first impression of these first two? Okay, so, and I tried to go into this as open-minded as possible, because I know there's been a ton of anticipation, and I'm a, I'm a huge lore guy. I, I love everything to be accurate and precise, but I knew I wasn't going to get that. So I just kind of went in and, you know, 
where's this show going to take me? And my overall first impression was I was entertained, but I was really underwhelmed. My, like, my, I guess my, my, my short summary of it uh, is, is surely the most elaborate and most expensive Tolkien fan fiction ever created. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I, I was entertained. Um, I'm intrigued by uh, a few of the new characters, but I'm really unsure about where things are going to go. I feel a bit disoriented because there's so much new stuff, and I'm I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that as we go along. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that's a good that's a good uh, way to start. Uh, Thomas and Erho, uh, what was your overall big impression? It's it's tough. I I liked them. I liked the episodes. I thought they were really good. Uh, I I agree with Thomas that they're it feels like they're stuffing a lot of sausage into very little casing <laughs> and which is, yeah. which is weird because they've got like what five seasons plotted of this. Right. So that's, we've yep. got 40 hours worth of, of tape that we're going to be watching of, of this happening. So for them to be kind of like cramming everything into this front loading portion of it seems really, really interesting. Um, I, I like the grand nature of it, but at the same time, I think it's kind of suffering from trying to tell too much backstory all at once. Um, and so I would have liked it to slow up on that backstory portion of it and have given us a little more room to breathe in the individual tales first and then added some of that backstory as we went along. Yeah. And then bring in the backstory over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Uh, Caitlin, how about you? I think disorienting is the perfect word for it, especially coming in. um, If you do know a lot of Tolkien, it's very confusing because you can be looking in the book and you know where you are and you have a firm footing. But then as soon as you get into the show with the time compression and all of the changes that they're making, it can be hard to know, you know, exactly what's going on. So I think a little disorienting, but it is it is really beautiful it's an entertaining story, I think. Um, it does seem like the buildup is going a little bit slowly, which is interesting because, I mean, the first episode covered thousands of years of right. material, <laughs> and yet it still was a little bit slow. Um, but it also seems like with they have 20 plus main characters for season one. Maybe mm-hmm. that was a little bit over ambitious uh, <laughs> yeah. of them. Um, so many different realms that you have to get acquainted with. So many different characters, um, canon characters and invented characters. And I think for the average uh, TV viewer, it probably seems a little bit overwhelming. And then for the average ultra Tolkien fan like us, it's a little bit underwhelming because Mm-hmm. We already know so much of this. And then there's certain things that they can't include because of the rights. And then those are missing. And it's just kind of a, a bit of a mess right now. But I'm still very excited to see how it all unfolds. So for my part, I tried to I didn't even reread any of the writing about this period in the run up. I didn't want to be. But that's not right, you know. <laughs> you know that, but mm-hmm. but it's, they're not there. Then I didn't want to do that. I wanted to get approach it on its own terms. Um, they wisely chose an era in which not much had been done at all. You know that that Tolkien had written much about. I mean, he mm-hmm. there is stuff that in his writing about this period of time, but it's among the least developed of materials uh, in in the whole grand scheme of things. So. 
it means that when they make changes, they add things. It's not as big of a deal as if, you know, you you did, you know, uh, Fionor's, uh, uh, you know, a, a half sister who, you know, uh, made the the uh, seventh Cimarron or something. You know what I mean? Like they add some whole another thing in in that um, or have Arwen at Helm's Deep. So uh, that that's a deep cut for those of you who know the, extent, the yeah. uh, extended <laughs> editions. Um, but I, I will say. It is surely the most beautiful fantasy movie or mm-hmm. TV show I've ever seen. I just mm-hmm. love the settings. I love seeing Linden and the city in Eregion, whose name I can't pronounce, but um, uh, and and Casa Doom, and I just to see these places that in the Lord of the Rings are you know diminished or destroyed in the case of Casa uh, Doom Moria, uh, and so to see these it was awesome. I love that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the overall feel, uh, I, I I saw some people say things like it 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 feels like wonderful fantasy. It doesn't feel very Tolkien esque, and maybe we can get into that you know further in this episode, but also throughout as we discuss it, what that might mean. Um, and to that end, I kind of want to bring up what themes do you see developing? Is is in just the first two episodes? What themes are they laying out for us? Themes of hope. Themes of uh, fear, you know, what themes are we seeing and do they feel Tolkien-esque to you? What do you all think? I think the the division of the races is interesting and the way that they're going about um, exploring that is very cool. And I'm talking about the the Tolkien races, not the uh, not some of the other issues with uh, actual actors or anything like right, that. Right, but um, right. you know, like the the differences between the dwarves and the elves and the and the humans, uh, it, it's it's really neat because you can clearly see first off which group any of the given characters belongs to, and it's subtle enough that it's not like they just threw a whole bunch of dirt on the humans and said, we're done, uh, you know, but, <laughs> but that, that, that the elves look like elves and the, the men look like men and the, the Harfoots look like Harfoots. Like it looks like what you would expect them to be uh, sort of at this time period in the history of middle earth. And I like that. I think that's a really interesting theme to discover, you know, the, the dwarves too, very clearly look like dwarves and it's, it's good for them to be like kind of diving into that and really embracing it. And then also expanding on why is it that dwarves hate elves? You know, like what is it that, you know, we get that sense in, um, in Lord of the Rings when there's like the, the animosity between Gimli and Legolas that then becomes a friendship, but it starts off as an animosity and we don't know exactly why that is. It's just assumed. And, and this is kind of filling in those holes, which is nice. Hmm. How about how about you, uh, Kaylin or Thomas Salerno? Uh, thoughts on what deeper themes they're pulling out so far? They're definitely going with a lot of light versus dark and um, kind of a, especially in the conversation with Finrod and Galadriel, there's a lot of discernment kind of conversation mm-hmm. of uh, reaching out to touch the darkness, uh, knowing which which path to take kind of thing, which. I I like that because it almost reminds me of Aragorn uh, struggling throughout Lord of the Rings to figure out, you know, what path he's going to take. I'm not sure how that works for elves exactly. Um, it's a little bit different for them, I would I would say. But still, I mean, every person has to make their own choices and decide 
you know, what they're going to do with their life. Um, especially when you are from the house of Finway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, there's, there's that. And I, I can also see a lot of tension between the different races, which I think is kind of fun to see play out. Like you said, where the, the men don't like the elves and then the dwarves don't like the elves. Kind of everyone's mad at the elves right now where we're starting. Um, so it's it's been fun. It does feel pretty Tolkienian with especially the light versus darkness thing so far, at least. But I also mm-hmm. feel like it's not it feels like it's too soon to tell, really. Yeah. Even though mm-hmm. we've seen two hours, like there's so much more coming that uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's hard to make like a judgment on whether or not this feels like Tolkien yet. OK, Th- Thomas. Yeah, I I definitely like the sort of theme or mood of kind of looming menace right where it's like you know sauron's out there somewhere we we all know this but it's like where is he exactly you know but but you know most people just think he's destroyed but still there's kind of this i don't know this undercurrent of like something's not right we see that in a little bit of like some of you know there's a lot of a bit of heavy-handed symbolism with like some leaves dying and some other like you know animals being you know, uh, poisoned and such. Yeah, the cow. <laughs> but there is, you know, like, I, I, I like this sort of hidden menace. It almost reminds me, and I, I don't think they used this as inspiration, but it kind of reminds me of the new Shadow, his, his aborted, Tolkien's aborted sequel to The Lord of the Rings, where there's this really heavy air of menace. Like, not mm. all is right in the world, and something mm. evil is lurking out there. I think that'll be interesting to explore. Um, I definitely think in terms of the way the, the, the production design and the music like really reinforce, it was really, I think calling back to the Jackson films and makes you feel Mm. kind of familiar. Like you're, you're in this world again. I, I know they filmed in, in New Zealand again for, for some of it, but yeah, I just felt at the same time, I felt there was something missing. It didn't feel quite like Tolkien. To me, it felt more like one of his many imitators from the 70s and 80s. It felt Mm. very kind of generic high fantasy trying to do Tolkien, but not him exactly. It was missing something that I can't quite place yet. Uh, I I don't want to dispute that, but I just want to throw it out there. Is it that it doesn't feel like Tolkien or doesn't feel like Jackson? that's a good point for my own self is i found myself comparing it to jackson's lord of the rings and, and wondering and it's like oh it's not quite well but that's there's nothing that says that jackson has to be the the canon per se right. so uh but you may be wrong to something there i think yeah, yeah. I, I i do think that that's part of it but just as as someone who 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 listens to the audiobooks at least once a year and i, yeah. I love to immerse myself <laughs> in middle earth something feels off i don't think okay. it's going to completely derail the show or anything to me it just feels yeah it it like i i said at the beginning it kind of felt a little bit like fan fiction okay well it kind I've of got, is yeah <laughs> that's, that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it is and I, it's I think fully that, I... licensed and very very <laughs> expensive and approved by the tolkien estate fan, fan fiction. fiction right yeah, yeah. Well, even if you go to the um, if you go to various uh, wikis about Tolkien stuff, they say it's non-canon. 
Like that's that's kind of the way it's presented as non-canon. Right. 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 Yeah. I think looking at it that way also allows you to have a much more enjoyable experience with the show because right. you're not going to get mad about the changes as much when you remember mm-hmm. that this is separate. It's like rooted in Tolkien, but it's separate. Um, that has allowed me to just relax a bit and enjoy the show yeah. a lot more. It's in a yeah, parallel yeah. parallel universe. <laughs> yeah. It's the multi the Tolkien multiverse. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this is the multiverse where there's uh, no Celeborn. <laughs> yes, we're and definitely talking about that. By the way, yeah, yeah. it's an else world, as we would say in, in DC comics. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so let's get into the. The, the the story itself, you know, we have this opening scene of Galadriel as a girl in Valinor. Again, the the to see the two trees there. She, she's being bullied by these other kids, so it's it's not exactly heaven then, you know. You know what I mean? You know, but uh, but, but it would, I don't think Tolkien wrote it as heaven. It's just a no, yeah. a beautiful place. I mean, the the kinslaying happens, which doesn't uh, in this. Um, but before we get to that, we have. Fi- um, was it Finrod who tells her the most important truths are often simple, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. And I kind of like that because I think that's setting the tone for the series because, you know, as often as people are in these two episodes, people are telling Galadriel, you know, Sauron's dead, just move on. You know, it's, it, it's whatever. And she clings to this simple truth that unless you see the body, he's not dead, <laughs> you know? And, mm-hmm. And we know she's right. And that's one of the, the beauties of this is we all, as told, you know, the uh, most of the people watching this, I dare say probably 80 percent know Sauron ain't dead and, and she's mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. so I kind of feel like that line up front was the, the, the showrunner saying this, you know, put a pin in this. This is important. Yeah, I think I think one of I, I had a lot of trouble with the, the lead up of Galadriel. Um, Get, jumping off the boat like yeah it it, it bothered me and and it yeah. bothered me primarily because i felt like she, i i love the conviction that she has but i feel like there was something missing in the elf story here because the 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 move to go back to valinor is supposed to be one of grief and of necessity and of 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 personal conviction to need to leave mm-hmm. and it felt like it was the king sending off his it's a reward uh, trouble troublesome right. well no it felt like he was sending oh, off her it, it was a reward yeah. for for some of the for some of the warriors yes yeah. but then for her it was sending her off you know it's like let's get rid of her uh because yeah. you know send her back so that she's not a problem anymore and i feel like it could have been done a lot better if they had set everything else the same and then when she was but when she was at the tower trying to discover proof that Sauron was still around, she didn't find any. And then when she came back to her troop, they all sang a hymn together. And then she felt not necessarily perfectly at peace, but enough that her mission was done. And then lead all, everything up the same way until that moment on the boat when they take the dagger from her and something doesn't feel right. And then she has a turn to come back. Like she's convicted at that point of that, that truth of where, you know, which light am I looking at and which light is the important one. And I I feel like it would have been a lot more powerful if they had kind of just made that slight little shift. Hmm. And, you know, I, so in my head, that's canon now. (laughs) That's the way I'm thinking about the rest of the series. I like that a lot better. Yeah. (laughs) 
They should hire uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, leading. So at this point, we get a a, a, con, a condensed. This is what happens in the first say, uh, age. This is the Silmarillion, basically. Uh, and mm-hmm. I find very interesting. There is no mention of the Silmarils at this point. No mention of the kin slaying. It is very simply mm-hmm. Morgoth is a guy who killed the trees and we went out to kill him back to, to defeat him. And that's kind of all they really say about the first age, which I think is interesting because the kin slaying and the Silmarils, I mean, that's everything about mm-hmm. the first age. Uh-huh. Yeah. It changes who Galadriel <laughs> is if she doesn't take the oath. One thing about that that I thought was kind of interesting is that this is being told from Galadriel's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it almost reminds me of in the Silmarillion when she's telling Melion about how they got to Middle Earth and she's leaving out all of the important <laughs> right. details. Right. <laughs> it, it would be cool if they sort of made her an unreliable narrator, but I don't think that's where they're going with it. But right. It would yeah. be awesome, though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's such a sense of PTSD to her that I I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up taking sort of an unreliable narrator angle. Mm, interesting. That would be really cool. Yeah, yeah that I, someone I, I later on that. confronts her with the truth of yeah, don't for, yeah, you don't forget you you conveniently left out you know that someone says to her <laughs> uh, the this bad stuff because um, the Silverals do get mentioned in the second episode, but not in the first. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we get um, a really interesting aside on the downsides of immortality. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the downside is that you have to, you have to live on when so many others have died. Um, you know, that, that it, and you have to live with what happened or what you didn't accomplish or whatever. Um, so I liked more- how they said in the beginning, the elves had no word for death. But yes. now we have many words for death and and Tolkien being such a guy about languages that yeah. felt very mm-hmm. authentic to me. I yeah. loved that mm-hmm. line. Yeah. That, yeah, I wrote that down. That was a good line. Uh, so Morgoth is defeated. Uh, we don't get to see any of that, which is kind of, you know, that yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, maybe we'll get to see the, the uh, Morgoth has to like it has to be bigger than Sauron. You know what I mean? So I, I'm right. not sure how we would do that. Um, but we have that see the battle um the the War dagger wrath. The, yeah where the the pile of the helmets you know that just that mm-hmm. was very mm-hmm. um finrod vows to hunt down sauron but was killed by him so galadriel takes the oath to hunt sauron uh to avenge her brother um and so let's talk a bit about this galadriel because she's younger than the galadriel we know of the lord of the rings um, and a little more active, which I don't think is a bad thing, given the it's six thousand. She's six thousand years younger. So maybe she's, <laughs> you know, and elves <laughs> have begun to fade by the third age and this. They're still quite uh, vibrant. They're still quite uh, substantial in a sense. But the it the, some things I'm having trouble with is the like I think we mentioned earlier, Galadriel as subservient to Gilgalad is it's hard to reconcile with her do- being the daughter of Finarfin, granddaughter of Finway and Olway. You know, she was in Tolkien in in his writings of this era. She was herself the Lord the the, the you know uh, Celeborn and her were the Lord and Lady of Eregion first. You know, they founded Ereg- mm-hmm. the kingdom of Eregion. She's not just you know a, you know some sword wielder. Right. It felt a little bit weird um, to see everyone disrespecting her so much. Yeah. Um, 
if I was just like, excuse you, like, don't you know who you're talking to? Do you know who you're talking to? Yeah, <laughs> this right. is Galadriel here. Like. So um, then we, 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 we meet Elrond, um, a much younger Elrond. Uh, not much is said about him. There is, uh, although the first time we see him, there is, we're clearly told you're half elven, therefore you're not as good as the rest of us. So, you know, just so you know where mm-hmm. you stand with things. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, which is insane because, like, his father essentially <laughs> saved the world, you know, <laughs> right? Well, what he should just, you know, like, yeah, I was gonna say, what he should just do is just point and go, you see that, the, the sun, yeah. That's my dad. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, just, you know, just, just to remind you where I stand with things. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is kind of weird. Like, I don't I I don't necessarily think that's how the uh, the elves thought of Elrond. I just. Yeah. But I, I like that he's he's Gilgalad's speechwriter. Yeah. yeah, you can tell. That, I, I that thought was that was funny. It, it was totally out of left field, but I actually kind of enjoyed that. Yep. And Caleb, mm-hmm. what were you going to say? Oh, I, I was saying, I guess I interpreted that part when they were like elf lords only. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. I just assumed that was because he was supposed to be like younger. Uh, I didn't take that as a half elven thing. Um, I assume that they're setting him up to be this herald. He's Harold Elrond right now. Mm-hmm. I assume mm-hmm. that they want to show his growth into Lord Elrond. It seems like they're setting everyone like five paces back from where they should mm-hmm. be, from what we know, so yeah. that we can have some kind of dynamic storyline. But it's kind of jarring at first to see them so different from where we would think they would be. Does he's Gilgalad's shield bearer at the last, the Battle of the Last Alliance, right? I think that's what this. Yes, yeah, bearer. I believe yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it fits. It fits. It fits to where. So so here's the thing, and and this is a discussion we got in uh, at my house about like what an elf is, right? <laughs> so you you have to kind of drop back and and think about uh, there's. It's very easy to hand wave the first age when you're Tolkien and you've written the third age, and that's all that really matters story wise. <laughs> and so yeah. you can just kind of write sort of a Bible about the first age, right? And then the second age gets completely ignored. But there's thousands of years there and we're to assume that elves never change. But we do see growth in the elves, even in the third age, uh, you know, so you, you see Elrond kind of change who he is and develop into the final person that he becomes the final elf that he becomes at the end of the, of the series. And, you know, even Galadriel has even Galadriel changes because she's, she's affected by Gimli's, uh, response to her and the way that he interacts with her and it changes her perspective on dwarves even that late in her in her life as an elf so it's i mean these beings that live thousands and thousands and thousands of years they still have to grow somehow and so for them to tell an effective story they really did have to kind of drop that constant immortal sense but they did maintain it a little bit too like with the in the second episode when they go into the relationship between uh you know, uh, Elrond and um, oh, the dwarf. Uh, oh, Durin. Durin, yeah, Durin. So, so the, the relationship between them and you know, my kids have talked. We've talked about this too. Like when we're making Lord of the Ring or we're making uh, Dungeons and Dragons characters, and we talk about like the the relative ages of all of the different uh, characters. And my son, one time, he just latched onto this idea that uh, an elf to an elf, a dwarf is like a dog. 
and and so you, and you're, they're going to live for so long and it's and it's interesting to think about that because then that provides all sorts of other implications when you get into a fight and you're an elf and you're fighting against another elf and your teammates are all you know other races that are essentially like a bunch of animals to you you know they're like your pets <laughs> who are you going to prefer trying to prevent mm. damage to you know you're going to you're going to prefer the other being that's like you where, where it's like okay yes i don't want you to keep doing the evil thing that you're doing or that i'm trying to stop you from but at the same time i'm not going to let these things that are with me rip you apart because they don't understand how long lived you are and the you know the the life that it, so it's it puts you on a different level and it's really interesting to kind of see those those things developing simultaneously like we've taken them back so that we have some room for growth but at the same time they're still very otherworldly they're still elves mm -hmm. <laughs> right yeah uh, i i got i suppose you you kind of um, touched on something here i want to bring i was gonna bring up later we'll bring up now because so don't forget it Durin's grudge that it's been 20 years i found hard to take because dwarves live for hundreds of years like 20 years to a dwarf is nothing so the fact that he like had this grudge because i haven't heard from you in 20 years i don't know i just I, I felt like it it ignores the fact that dwarves are not like men like where 20 years is everything did he say 20 or 200 he 20. said 20 20 yeah it should have really? been like 60 years maybe that yeah. would have been yeah Okay, I heard him say 200, so oh, it didn't okay. bother me as much. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he he's like it's been 20 years and then Elrond goes, "Oh, only 20 years?" You know, and then and Durin is like, "Yeah, 20 like you can I got married, I thought had that kids. Yeah. Exchange. Yeah, yeah. I thought that exchange was interesting because to Elrond he's like, "Oh, only 20 years, no big deal." But from Durin's perspective, that was a long time. Yeah. Um yeah, even though it doesn't completely make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that was that was one of the one of the small things I just felt like, you know, they, they kind of missed it on. Um, so we switch from Gladriel's story at, you know, at this point to the Harfoots. We, we get to see them and they are the precursors to hobbits. They're one of the, the tribes of halflings. So there's actually a, a bunch of different kinds of halflings, the stores, the Harfoots. Um, and these are the Harfoots. They're considered dangerous by the by men. Um, and <laughs> I love that they are th so good at hiding, which is how Tolkien described them. Like whenever human, you know, the, the big folk are around they're they just disappear. They're like they cover everything and it's gone. And I love that little sequence where they uncover themselves. Uh, that was really nice. Um, yeah, that was great. Although the, their little village kind of reminded me of the uh, the halfling village from Willow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so something yeah. about it. I was yeah. like, yeah, this kind of looks like the Willow village. But otherwise, yeah, yeah, that, that was great. I love how they disguise everything to look natural, you know, like the, the terrain around them. And I like that they're migratory because they, yes. they, they definitely they're talk wanderers. about that in, yep. in the, uh, the appendices. Yeah, I, I thought they were great as, as proto-hobbits. Well, in fact, they're basically portrayed here as like the Irish travelers. If you're familiar with them, they're Irish travelers are like the, the gypsies in Ireland. They're the they're people who are migratory. They're looked down upon by others. They are seen to be as lower class um, and treated that way often, oftentimes. And so they that's one. I think that's one of the reasons why they chose them to have these 
these sort of country Irish accents. That's what it really is. It's a country mm-hmm. Irish accent. Um, then I know some Irish people were kind of upset. Like the Irish Times had a editorial that was very upset that you know we portrayed the the, the country bumpkins as Irish. But it's they're they're really what they're doing is a shorthand for Irish traveler. As soon as you see this, you get a sense like they don't have to explain who they are. It, it kind of comes comes across. So I kind of like that. Um, they uh, um. They have young Nori is the young elf, elf Harfoot, who <laughs> we um, very quickly, re- you'll see her as a bit of a rebel. She pushes the boundaries uh, because we're told Harfoots always stay together. Nobody goes off alone and they have no worries in life. And so clearly Nori is going to go off alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we get an extended sequence with that and we start to get also the hits of things are not right in the world. The, uh, the lore master, the, the sort of the shaman or of, of what have you, I forget the character name. Um, Sadik. Sadik. Thank you. Sadik. Yeah. Uh, seeing omens, the, as well as the other women in the, in the, in the, in the, the traveling band, um, seeing the omens in the, in the, in the sky, um, and that sort of thing. So we're setting them up. Oh, and also there's a, warg not because it's it didn't look like a wolf this was a a monstrous more monstrous creature Mm -hmm. so like a warg um so um yeah so we get introduced to the harfoots um oh one one point about the harfoot music the harfoot music yeah their their village music sounded something like straight out of like town music from legend of zelda (laughs) immediately i'm like that like um, like are we in kakariko village or something and like this is exactly what this sounds like i'm like bear mccurry the composer must be a fan because like it it was i'm sure it was too much to have been a coincidence i thought yeah i also love here that they show that um that a written tradition is part of who the hobbits are and because you know i mean the whole thing about the hobbits is the hobbits wrote the Lord of the Rings. That's the Bilbo and Frodo together wrote the Lord of the Rings. So to, to show that that's a very long history of those peoples to have a written record of what's going on and ob- observing the world around them is, yeah. was really good. So we, we jump back from the Harvards to Galadriel and we're shown, we're told that she's basically defying Gil Galad with her insistence on revenge against Sauron. Um, Gilgalad is meanwhile in in denial. We're, without doubt, the days of war are over. He says, "Long, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dewey wins." So, you know, I, I right here, what keeps the elves from leaving for the uh, all the elves from leaving for the Undying Lands? Why are they here? Why mm-hmm. are they? Why did they stay? And you know, we have to recall that was Tolkien wrote. They have an attachment to this world. They have an attachment to the to middle earth and to the places and they don't they don't want to leave them that's their home they they they've settled here um but it's only like you said thomas that when they when they get to the point of grief and you know and uh fading and those sorts of things that they 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 must leave whereas galadriel she she should they she should not be given this like she shouldn't be going on the ship the whole reason galadriel can't go back is the oath she made the oath along with her brothers and she's not allowed to go back. And in fact, she only gets to go back at the end of the Lord of Rings because she, uh, she foregoes the temptation to take the ring from Frodo. And that mm-hmm. is what gives, gives her 
permission to go to go back. So that whole sequence of her going, you know, being given the gift to go back to the Undying Lands doesn't really fit with everything else. This was, you know, something that came up for me anyway. It just felt bizarre. It felt like he was almost like a Willy Wonka giving out golden tickets. <laughs> right? And, yeah. yeah. It just was, it, I just don't, I did not really enjoy that element of the plot. Yeah. Right. My, my wife, my wife looked at it and she said, it's almost like he's retiring, you know, with yes. air quotes, the soldiers and it, and it, it just sat wrong. Yeah. 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 I, I gotta say one thing I did like was the Memorial Glade. That the where she was talking mm-hmm. they'll run yeah. where the, oh, the yeah. likenesses of the dead are formed into the tr- the living trees. I don't think it's so much mm-hmm. carved as just like the elven mm-hmm. magic forming their likenesses in it. So I kind of like that. Did you see the one that looked like Luthien? And who are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. that one was that was, was very dog. exciting because yeah. I'm oh, I'm dog. pretty sure that's who it's supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to. I now I need to rewatch that scene because you I, need to go <laughs> back and watch it. Yes. Yeah, that was a fun little. I liked that they threw that in for the big Tolkien nerds. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. She says at this point, "You have not seen what I have seen." Like, does that great line from the trailer? Like, you mm-hmm. have not seen what I have seen. Evil <laughs> sleeps and waits, and in our moment of complacency, it it blinds us another great line, which I think is uh, a thematic because it's true, right? When we become complacent about the existence of evil in the world and in, 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 in the lives around us, it, 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 that's when it leaps out and gets us, you know, like a spider in the dark, like ungoliant, you know? Uh, so I like that they're developing this theme throughout and I'm, I'm I hopefully hope to see where it goes with that. It's very Tolkien, too. That's a, a very yeah. good Tolkien theme. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Um, so now we have the Southlands where, like I mentioned before, the, the, the men are under the control of the elves because they throw in Mordor. Future. Is it really future Mordor? I think oh, so. Before yeah. door. Before door. Yeah. Before door. <laughs> That's great. Because, yeah, like they show Mordor on the map and you can kind of oh, see like the shape yeah. of the mountains mm-hmm. is right. Yeah. So all of this land would become the blasted plain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm very excited to see. Wow. Mm -hmm. That (laughs) changes a lot of my thinking about that. Cause so they're digging underneath. That's one of the things that actually came up is orcs have not been seen in hundreds of years. They were thought to be Mm -hmm. extinct. And so having them emerge. So they're tunneling underneath. They're destroying the poisoning the land. Oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, there's an interesting theme of the prejudice against the men by the elves, but because they are the descendants of those who had uh, betrayed the elves in a sense. And it's an interesting, another theme of generational guilt, you know, is it just mm-hmm. to, to, to impute generational guilt upon people like this for the elves? It's yesterday for the, these people you know, it's like, you know, you're, you're I'm, I'm guilty because my, you know, George Washington, the guy who served under George Washington did something wrong <laughs> or older, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> well, and since we're on since we're on a Catholic podcast here, let's talk about original sin and yep. um, mm. how that plays into the concepts of uh, of the guilt we should have, you know, as it relates to original sin. And I think that's a it's one of those things that we we always have to walk the line in discussing our religion about how much we are responsible for uh, how much we should feel guilt for that and how much we are also responsible for our own sin. And it's not just that we inherited it, but that, you know, we engage in it as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's tricky because when we talk about original sin, it is not, you know, uh, an active guilt for a thing we've done. It is the mm-hmm. brokenness within us that is passed on from parent to child, an unbroken line from Adam and Eve, um, that that puts us in a sinful state, in a broken state in which sin is possible. Um, and, I mean, it's true because then we see it in Bronwyn's son, don't we? This The mm-hmm. fact is, is, the elves aren't wrong that there is still, and the, not only Bronwyn's son, but the other guy from the inn, the tavern, you know, mm-hmm. um, they are still susceptible to that temptation and to the evil that their ancestors had engaged in. So it's still in among them. Yeah. Yep. And the physical remnants of the evil are still there when he just goes and, you know, he's just like in a random shed, lifts up yeah. one floorboard and there's suddenly a sword bearing the the mark of Sauron. Like, you know, it's almost like there's these things just laying all over the place. So it, it almost makes me feel like it wasn't supposed to be that long ago. Um, but with the time compression, it's kind of confusing. Right. Like, you know, the sword is not even buried a foot deep in the ground. Yeah, that confused me because they never seemed to explain how they, how him and his friend knew that was there. So I'm getting, I got the sense that this is, there are people who still maintain this connection to the rebellion, the throwing themselves in with Morgoth. There are still mm-hmm. among them people who have those sympathies and they've kept these relics as symbols of that. So just like you might have um, uh, people in Christian lands, like in, in say in the British Isles who they may be ostensibly Christian, but they're also hidden Druids still practicing some of that stuff passed down from generation to generation in the in the woods and in and holding on to the paganism as well and i kind of feel like this is one of those relics that you know they knew someone had held and so bronwyn's son brought this other guys hey you know someone it was almost like someone else had shown me this let me show it to you and yeah that sort of thing that's what i got out of it I'm very curious to know whose barn that was and if we're going to find out uh, the answer mm-hmm. to that question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of those people heading to the tower to for safety. Um, yeah. Uh, so that also brings us to Aaron Deer in Bronwyn. And uh, Aaron Deer's uh, boss tells him, look, this, I know I know you or, or his co-worker. I know you've got this thing for this woman. Look, there's only ever been two uh, human elf pairings <laughs> ever. And, you know, uh, look how they both turned out. It never works out. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there going, well, yeah, there's only ever been two. So it should not be happening here between random <laughs> elf dude and random woman do, uh, right. dude. You know, I like, love that they threw that in like they recognize that this is not right. Like this should not be here. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, I kind of like the the longing from a distance. Neither one actually l- comes out and says anything. There's mm-hmm. sort of that classical, uh, you know, we we are expressing our feelings in a way that no one actually has to acknowledge that we've actually done it. You know, so we can still pretend. Right. Yeah. They they have the little dialogue right. over the uh, the Alpharin seeds. Yes. There, which which I liked because the, those become the uh, the uh, the Evermind uh, symbol Muna flowers that the Rohirrim use on the, the graves of the dead. Right. Which was a mm-hmm. nice little nod. I like that. Yep. Symbolism maybe. I also appreciated the way that they were kind of like their their whole romance was very 
like Jane Austen kind of yes. like, yeah. oh, like, you know, our hands brushed against each other <laughs> and now everyone's blushing. Like, uh, you know, on a lot of modern TV shows, you find out two characters like each other and then things go from zero to 60. <laughs> and, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, like, yes. so I really did appreciate how it was very like slow moving and uh, subtle. I thought that was nice. I actually didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. <laughs> it is as opposite of Game of Thrones as you could possibly right. be. I loved right. it. And I think it that may be so intentional. Refreshing. Yes, yeah. Yes, I hope yes. so. And I hope it's, I hope they keep it up. Yes. <laughs> yes better stay good. that way. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> um, then we have ex- extended series of circumstances having to do with um, the suspicion, the elves, the, the garrison of elves is leaving. He becomes a deserter. And we have um, the bad things are happening. The other village where some bad things are the cow that's diseased and actually is giving this black bile in, uh, instead of milk and uh, just this awful. It was that was pretty yuck. Uh, these awful. Yeah. I'm like, wash your hand. And <laughs> after he said, he's like, dude, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, he didn't wash his hand. I mean, he's an elf. He's not going to get sick, but come on. Um, the uh, and then we have the tunnels. And those very like very intense scenes of like crawling mm-hmm. through tunnels and having things chase you and um, whatever it is that grabbed him in the dark, you know, which we assume is our Oryx. But I'm guessing we're we're not done with Iron Deer yet. <laughs> we gotta guess he's mm-hmm. not not gone. <laughs> um, I like how we're we're building up the kind of the vermin aspect of yeah. orcs, mm-hmm. which we, which even in the mm-hmm. Jackson films, we really didn't get a lot of like some of the, the still shots we've seen of orcs. They look very rodent like, or like, yeah. and, and they dig tunnels underground, like rats or, or grubs or something. I, I, I think yeah. that's a great way to distinguish them from Peter Jackson's orcs or other orcs that we've seen in fantasy, that these are really disgusting vermin like creatures. Right. Right. They need to be careful bringing them out in the daylight, though, because that's that's a no no. And I know they were inside during the day when the one came up and in, into the house to 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 try and capture Bronwyn and her son. But yeah, mm-hmm. at the same time, they shouldn't be they shouldn't be participating in anything daylight related. Right, at least at this point. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Because those were developments; those were bre- bred for you mm-hmm. know that sort of thing later on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we have that scene where the the uh, that's come up inside the house and it's attacking her. Now, my, my I was talking to my nephew about this and he was like, why did she look at the door to run out and then run into the cabinet? And I said, you're not a parent. Uh, her son yeah. was in that yep. cabinet, uh, the cabinet. <laughs> She's not leaving while he's still in there. Well, Bingo. what got to me was the fact that she even considered leaving her son. To me, I was like, excuse me? Like, <laughs> yeah. like he's like, mom, run. Like, wouldn't you just grab him and run together? Right. I thought that was so bizarre. And may- maybe whoever wrote that scene doesn't have any children because I... <laughs> would i i don't know i just i maybe my instincts would kick in i don't know i don't know what i'd do in that situation if there yeah. was an orc in my house but i just can't imagine ever even cons- even running towards the door was bizarre to me yeah but a good fight scene like a good action scene in there i mean it was it was mm-hmm. compelling and believable um mm-hmm. i really like the fact that she goes back to the tavern and smacks the head of the orc down and goes now do you believe me <laughs> yeah, right yeah <laughs> that was a great scene yeah that was good um, so, uh, meanwhile, uh, Gil- back, back in Linden, uh, Elrond is sent to go work with Kella Brimbor, 
he's and we know Celebrimbor is the one who forges the rings, the the three rings, the elven rings. Uh, he works with Sauron. Sauron will show up at least in Tolkien's work, uh, the the writings. He shows up and ingratiates himself and pretends to be the good guy and uh, I'm reformed and uh, and works next to Celebrimbor and um, manages to pervert the work and and take and take control of the rings. Uh, but this is well before that. And he's been sent to work with Celebrimbor to build something of a new forge, I guess, is what he's building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which will be the yeah, forge for the like. rings. That's what mm-hmm. I got out of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he said it's a, a forge so, so special and so big with that. It could be as, I think he said as hot as dragon's breath and as pure as starlight, which I love that little, that was cool. That was like a very Tolkien thing to say. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, so I'm wondering if this is Mount doom, if this is the creation of Mount doom. Or Baradur. No, Barad- uh- no, I think well, this but, is built in Eregion, though. I think he, that's right. where he's building it. Well, I, I don't know that we have everything. I don't know that we have the full story of it yet. And that's, okay. why, I, that's why I'm thinking that what, what we're going huh. to get out of this is a forge. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that the dwarves are going to push it somewhere else. Like they're going to say, well, it'd be better if we did. Because the dwarves being called on, the dwarves are going to have an opinion about this. Yeah. And and I think that's sort of that's sort of where things are going. And so as we're moving into the Southlands with the story, I think we're also going to be moving, kind of focusing everything back down there. And I, it could be Barador. Because yeah, they so, mention a tower. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You... So some somewhere in there, I think we're going to get the, I, I think we're going to have all of these pieces start to come together, which is interesting. I'm, I'm liking it. Like the, the more mm. I'm thinking about what they're doing here is, you know, there's just this kind of general sense of, well, you know, uh, Sauron came in and he he saw uh, Mount Doom and he he said that's where I'm going to go and it's like well why and mm. I think we're going to put something there that's actually going to inspire him to to move there and take over that area I suppose you know you need a you, you, if you're going to do this you need a volcanic fire to be the right. the source of heat I guess I thought I mean that they can they could be changing it but I thought that Mount Doom was a secret place that um, that. Sauron used to forge the one ring away from where Celebrimbo was working. But mm, could but, be too. but it might be that they're 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 going in that direction though. So you might be right. What did you all think about the way that Celebrimbo was like and I need this done by spring because that's very <laughs> uncharacteristic <laughs> for an elf to be rushing. Haste. So I I have a <laughs> yeah. theory. Um yeah, it seemed like, you know, I need this done next Tuesday. Like what what is the what what's the rush? Uh I don't know. Like what what, what do you think? What's what's going on there? I have my theory is that Anatar is already there and is working is has already been influencing Celebrimbor and is kind mm. of the one behind the scenes pushing him to rush because it's so weird for an elf to be like mm. I need this done right away. But I also don't understand how like, how did Celebrimbor convince Gilgalad that this is of, you know, singular importance? Like, he's just, it's just a forge. He might have told him he he's wants to forge the three magic rings. Maybe. You know, he's got this idea for this new magic, which, you know, given the, 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 the one, the thing that the elven rings apparently seem to do is to preserve. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think Gilgalad, and especially I think since we see him with that leaf that's, corrupted that he's concerned about preserving mm-hmm. 
his kingdom and Oregian and, you know, the elven lands. Um, I wonder if that's part of it. Uh, so, but Anatar, Anatar is the elvish name for Sauron, but it's for, in case you know, the listener doesn't, doesn't know that yet. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Well, I'll keep up. Um, and uh, I think that's an interesting idea. I think Anatar is somewhere in action behind the scenes. Yeah. And he's not mm-hmm. someone else that we're about to talk with in, in a couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think, I think it's, I also love the discussion of Fiona's hammer. Um, that was very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That felt like another moment that they just threw in specifically for us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because the average person is like, what's a Silmaril? Because they didn't mention it in the prologue. Right. Um, so, you know, the average viewer has no idea what any of this conversation is about, but we're all very happy. I, I mm-hmm. was really pleased. What did you think of that story that he told about it? How it uh, the, the looking at the Silmaril almost converted Morgoth on the spot. I love it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, my... Uh, one of the images of the Bible that I really take to heart. Well, it's not, it's not biblical. It's extra biblical. I'll, I'll just say it's extra biblical <laughs> is in the apostles creed. When it says that, uh, that Jesus descends into, into hell. And that's that there's this moment where he confronts, uh, Satan directly. And in my mind, what I'm seeing there is he's there and he pushes all of the evil away. And for a moment, the angel is returned to his glory. And that is the worst possible defeat that any being oh. that's turned to evil could have. Especially when that's irredeemable. Returned. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and then to have that pulled away when Jesus leaves. That to me is like, that is defeat right there. That is the oh, moment wow. of victory, the moment of victory of Christ. And so I love this image too of Morgoth seeing the Silmaril and nearly falling to the beauty of it. And it's his tear falling on it that brings him back to the reality of the fact that he is imperfect and will never right. be able to attain that. Oh, that's so that's it's devastating. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the fact That's that he's incredible. been searching all this time for, I think, in the Silmarillion, it's called the Flame Imperishable. You know, that that mm-hmm. great uh-huh. beauty that lies at the ground of all creation. And he's like, he's so envious of Eru Iluvatar, mm. the, the god figure in Tolkien's mythos, that, 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 that he can create all things, but he, Morgoth, can't create anything on his own. And he, he, so, so he covets things. He wants to possess them so he wants to possess this light this creative force and essence and and like you said thomas to kind of see that like to realize that he can't really have it because the silmaril itself mm-hmm. is just kind of a vessel for the greater light of the two trees which he's destroyed yeah it kind of brings. yeah i i could see him having that moment but then but then it just passing in like the blink of an eye and being like nope this is mm-hmm. who I am right now. I've committed to this. And then you double down on it, you know, as, right, as yeah. the evil, you, you yeah. double down on that evil. And that's exactly what happens. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That, uh, you know, so I heard some criticism of it where it's like, oh, you know, that Elrond knows all, the, all this stuff. Why is he telling him this? Like, this is just exposition. But I think it's important exposition. I think it's mm-hmm. not just a throwaway or even just a, you know, a fan service. I think it's, I think it's important because we're talking about good and evil here, fundamental good and evil and the power of good. This is, I think, at the heart of Tolkien's 
messages, his themes is the hope and good always overcomes hope and good Mm -hmm. has already won. The rest is just mop up, you know, and that's that. I think that's at the heart of this is that even Morgoth, even the personification of the devil in, in Tolkien's world is almost converted almost, you know? So yeah, that's. And it, and it, it brings us back to that line from the very beginning of the episode. Nothing is evil in the beginning. Like not oh, even hmm. Melkor was evil in the beginning. Yep. So, um, so we have, uh, I'm just trying to think of what we're, uh, so we have a which is where Celebrimbor works. It's near, Carathras, the big mountain, when you remember when they were trying to cross the mountain pass in Lord of the Rings, um, and Legolas walked across the top of the snow. Whereas, <laughs> why didn't the elves at the beginning of this walk across the top of the snow in the forest ways? Mm. But never mind. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on from that. Uh, and it's at the gates, of, it's right near the gates of Moria or Casa Doom. And so, uh, if, if you got to have it built by next week, you know, it's got to be done or, you know, next spring. Um, Elrond knows you need the doors to help build it. And so they go over and I, I like the fact that Elrond's like, oh, yeah, he he loves us. We're friends. It's kind of like from Animal House. That's it's Otis. Hey, Otis, he loves us. Um, and uh, uh, sorry, deep cut. And so they get there. So the elves are English. The Harfoots are Irish and the doors. They've got to be Scottish. <laughs> I just love, yeah. I love the fact that they're all like Scottish and they're rowdy. Um, and Durin's got this grudge. And, and so we have this rock breaking contest because what other kind of contest would a, a dwarf have where uh, you it. have to, you know, how, you got to who can last longest breaking rocks? Well, because otherwise it would be a drinking contest and the elf would win that hands down. Right. So, yes, you know. yes. <laughs> we all know that. I, I like that we kind of showed that like elves at this time are still really powerful. They have super strength because mm-hmm. like in the yes. beginning, like Elrond is able to break these rocks also like it's nothing. And right. I, I appreciated that because in in the Silmarillion, we're told how much more powerful they are than in later ages. They still have that kind of youth of the world kind of, you know, they, 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 they draw yeah. their strength from Arda, the, the universe. So, like, I, I really appreciated that this whole sequence was hands down my favorite part oh, of the episode. I love Casa Doom. Casa Doom. Great. Oh, oh, Casa Doom is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, what did you think of Durin's wife? I really liked her. Yeah, I think she's a really good character. I think she brings a lot of warmth to the mm-hmm. to the whole dwarven realm. And it's fun because we've not seen a female dwarf before. So, yes, mm-hmm. it's fun getting to know her. And I, I really like the actress uh, as well. I've gotten to hang out with her a couple of times. And they gave her some beard hair, too. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yes. you know, she really? had some of that little tuft stuff going on. That was, yeah. that was good. Good touch. <laughs> yes. I, I don't have a problem with that. I'm having the big, long beard. I really like the whole resonating, the whole, you know, the the, the fact mm-hmm. that they, they, they sing to resonate and to, you know, they can. It's almost like scanning the rock, you know, or almost like yeah. Michelangelo, who could see the sculpture. He's going to he's going to carve away everything that is not the sculpture. And it's almost like that idea. I love that. And then there was some beautiful foreshadowing in there, too, where she mentioned not only do they find the things that they can dig, but they find the areas they shouldn't dig. Right. Yeah. Right. And and that's, you know, as as we know, with Casa Doom, that's a big issue. Delve too far and too deep. 
Someone's mm-hmm. not going to do their resonating properly. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to ignore the resonators and uh, yes. keep mm-hmm. digging. Yeah. Because it's going to be, you know, uh, the. Uh, they're going to need more. The more of whatever is in the the shiny thing in the box, which is like the Tarantino suitcase, you know, briefcase, <laughs> you know, like you're not allowed to see what's in it, you know. Uh, but uh, theories, I think uh, I think the most common one is. Arkenstone. Me- yeah. I'm. Ark- you think. Oh, Ar- really? I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah. I thought it was Mithril. Yeah. I think it's Mithril. Oh. Yeah, I don't think Mithril's shiny like that. Though. Yeah, like the I fact mean, that it was maybe. giving off a kind of radiance made me think: Is this going to be some big dumb crystal like the Arkenstone? <laughs> but like, but I'm like, but it has to be Mithril. So I'm kind of divided but, on it. I thought the Arkenstone was yeah. in the Lonely Mountain. That's well, true. Arkenstone is the heart of the mountain, so it's it, it, it. You can assume that any mountain, any given mountain that they're digging uh, in, they could find something similar. Heart of oh hmm. uh, oh, like a more generic heart of a mountain, right? Not the heart right. of that particular mountain. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had just assumed Mithril. That was just my first guess, and I hadn't thought yeah. any more about it. I still think I still think Mithril in that because that's discovered around this time mm-hmm. uh, in Tolkien's mm-hmm. work. That's true too. And you know, once they've got it, they're going to want a lot more of it, and they'll keep digging for it. And that's when they're going to, you know, wake up the bad guy down the bottom. And there's that um, conversation towards the end of uh, episode two where Durin is talking to his father about how they've kind of recently just discovered this thing and they, mm. they don't really want anyone else to know about it. Right. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. I also like the discussion of the sapling that uh, mm-hmm. Elrond yeah. gave to Durin and how it grows in the dark. Um, and he says, where there is love, it is n- never truly dark, which is, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, it was a nice little, nice little line. I like yeah. That. that was sweet. And the, these are the same trees that are that we see in Lord of the Rings as well. And, and I think that's, you know, kind of a cool tie in to say that this is a gift from the elves to their close friends that yes. they give a cutting yeah. from this tree. And and so you see that later on with Gondor, there's uh, another of these trees yes. present in Gondor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's go back to. Well, let's talk about Galadriel's swim. Um, so she's almost. <laughs> You know, the, the, I, I like the visualization of the way opening to the Undying Lands. I mean, you're like they're literally mm-hmm. almost there. And there's a, almost there's a kind of um, ecstasy that the elves kind of go into when this is happening. It's kind of wild and almost like they have to hold hands to, 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 to as they're drawn in. Like it's the Our Father or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, the hand holding thing was a little bit weird where he's like, take my hand. I'm like, you're all in the same boat. <laughs> Boat's going You're there. You're all gonna get there. <laughs> yeah, that was a little different. I was, I was like, a little goofy. Is the boat not going? So that was interesting. But yeah, are they like teleporting? Yeah, yeah. But what do you think of the whole? I'm not going. I'm jumping in the ocean and swimming back across to you know, however far that is. I just seemed because elves can drown. <laughs> yeah, I, but like how many miles is that? Yeah, but she could also swim that far. She's an elf. She could swim that far. Like endurance is not an issue for them. I don't. I mean, I, I think that's. Yeah. I, I don't I, know. I think, she would get. She could get lost in the ocean. She could get eaten by the sea worm. Yeah. She could get. Although I, any manner of things could happen. I don't think she expected there to be a sea worm. I think the sea worm <laughs> is like the dragons. No one knows <laughs> that they're about yet. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, they're they're kind of new. Yeah. She but she ends up with this shipwrecked group who immediately are suspicious of her although i'm not sure why like she's like an, a, a single elf swimming in the ocean like what did what did she <laughs> crash your boat like 
Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, and then everybody else dies, which was kind of wild. <laughs> How quickly everybody else dies, and it's just her and Halbrand, this this guy Halbrand, who's suspicious uh, of her and suspicious in general. So I got to say something about this. Uh, I saw a preview, and from the preview, I got a feeling that I know why Celeborn isn't in the this show right now because it hmm. looks like they're making another human elf love interest story featuring uh, but this one featuring Galadriel I which I think I don't know that's I think I think that would be really bad to do that because that really changed that I mean we've changed Galadriel that's a big change to Galadriel yeah yeah I would be very very angry that's um, a canon breaking change yeah. that's one of those things where it would be hard to continue watching the show if they did that I don't know what I would do yeah Cause like I might be done, you know, like it's just so it's such a bad idea that if they go that far, like I just I wouldn't trust them for anything anymore. I mean, I suppose it could be an unrequited from afar sort of thing, which isn't as bad. But I think that's the best we could hope for, because they, I mean, unless the trailer, the, the preview was way off, it was pretty clearly there was something going on. Apparently, some of I, them were. I've, I've, yeah. I've read some reports that they that the, the, some of the, the advertising for it was uh, a little misleading, and there were some some issues internally about that as well. Oh, good. Oh. <laughs> oh, That's know. good. Yeah, they have been very. I, whoever is cutting the trailers together is not the person who is writing the show. Yeah, for sure. But um, I I could see it as you know Galadriel. She's a she's a a princess of the Noldor. You know, like she's. She's very beautiful. You know, even Gimli kind of becomes obsessed yes. with her. Mm-hmm. So I could see anyone, especially a mortal man, just totally falling for her and being all googly eyed over her. But if there's any kind of like reciprocation there, I think that would be going way too far. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. We already have an elf human romance right. in this show. So I, right. I don't we think don't they're going to another. Do another. There's only ever been two. Well, now four. But uh, next week it'll be eight. Like, <laughs> right. stop, stop, <laughs> stop them before they do it again. Uh, it's exceptionally rare for a reason. <laughs> exactly, it should right. be rare. Uh, if it's not rare, it it lessens the ones that have that have happened. Um, mm. So, all right, let's get to the the big mystery. The, uh, the 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 bomb into the middle of the cannon. Meteor Man. Uh, so we have this meteor that falls out of the sky, this omen in the sky, uh, as darkness sort of is descending on Linden. Um, and Nori discovers him and he's lying in the middle of the impact crater. Um, he doesn't speak the common tongue. Um, he's writing these weird, what they end up realizing are constellations. He has power, like magic power. And he doesn't necessarily seem to be all there all the time. So based purely on appearances, uh, some people think it might be Gandalf, which would be a cannon breaking because Gandalf doesn't show up until the third age and he comes on a boat, not riding a meteor in. Some people think he's Sauron because of, uh, you know, when he causes the fireflies to die and some of the more menacing aspects of him. What do y'all think? His crater looked like the eye of Sauron when they showed it from above. Mm, the crater yeah. was on fire. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, he doesn't seem evil, but then yeah. I think they want you like... to think that. Yeah, yes. yeah. definitely. I think yeah. they're trying to trick us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Who do you think he is? I think he's just going to be some unspecified wizard that maybe mm-hmm. we won't ever 
get his name. Okay. That'll be kind of like a letdown, but yeah. I think he's one of the Yastari, the blue mm-hmm. wizards. I think he's one mm-hmm. of the blue wizards who we are told, you know, came in the second age and passed out into the East, never to be heard from again. So it's a very convenient wizard to do whatever you mm-hmm. want with, right? We've got this extra mm-hmm. wizard laying around. You might as well throw him into the story <laughs> and use him in some ways. Um, but because at least I was, I'm originally thinking, like, if it's Gandalf, I mean, this could show why he has such fondness for hobbits, because they kind of saved him. He was the first people he encountered in this in this land, that sort of thing. But it can't it's not going to be Gandalf because unless it's unless they've really, really messed with things, which it's entirely possible. What do you think about the whole like the fireflies dying? Yeah, what was that about? Because that because th- some people say that's a sign of something bad, like he's mm-hmm. causing harm to these creatures. I think magic has a cost and that's, yeah. I, I, yeah. I like that they're kind of playing that in and, and it might just be for the breadcrumbs trying to lead us to Sauron. Yeah. But I, I feel like, uh, that's just, I, they're going to start toying with that idea of magic having a cost. And I like that. Okay. I, I, I've always liked stories that put a cost on magic because with great power comes great responsibility. It's a great line. It <laughs> yes. should apply across all fandoms but um you know part of that responsibility is that you don't get to do fantastically huge things without some payment of some kind okay whether it's personal or of the things around you all yeah right. and calabrimbor said earlier all creation requires sacrifice mm-hmm. which i thought that was, was such a good line yeah. i really loved that line yeah. i mean right down to human creation right i mean the the giving giving birth to a child is right as i'm like eight months pregnant right now i'm like yes, yes it really does I, I, I knew that would be you know really relevant uh, so i i also think with the meteor man the um talking to the fireflies again evoked gandalf talking to the butterfly on top of orthanc mm-hmm. and peter jackson which mm-hmm. again i think is a misdirection sort of thing although to connect him to the wizards like it yeah. this he feels like one of the wizards so mm-hmm. um yeah He's definitely an Ainur, I think. Yeah. One of the angelic yes. beings. Yeah. Whether whether he's good or evil. He's also muttering something. He's saying mana and ure. Yeah. And I was looking that up. It it kind of it's it's something to do with fire. Um according to Tolkien Gateway, it says it it means what is heat. What is heat? So, so that's kind of I, I heard someone on my Discord also said it, it it might be referring to some kind of secret fire. Mm-hmm. Like fire or secret. Oh, so I thought Gandalf that was says really I'm the servant of the secret fire. Mm-hmm. Right. So Ooh. that made me wonder also, I mean, that could be a mistranslation, but that kind of got me wondering, what does that mean? I, I like the fact that they've thrown in this sort of mysterious figure. It really because, you know, the all the others are kind of they they fall into types, they fall into areas we ex, we sort of expect. And then we have this other figure. And when you have a Tolkien-esque story you need a wizard right this the hobbit has wizards the lord of the rings has wizards uh and so having a wizard with the elves and the dwarves and the hobbits and the men it it works it fits and so i'm i kind of hope that's what it is it's one of the one of the the wizards one of the astari uh one of the anor the the uh, a maya um and you, we'll see where that goes from that anything i didn't cover any last thoughts you want to mention from your own notes if uh, if not, I will uh, wrap things up here uh, again. I, I 
I would, you know, give this a a good grade, like these first two episodes. Um, I'm a little weary of what's going to happen, but I'm kind of curious to see where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm optimistic. Let's put it that way. I'm optimistic. Uh, and I think I think one thing to look for, too, is next week we get the um, the directorship of the person who has the honor of the final episode. So um, Wayne Chiep is doing the the next three episodes and then the final episode. Mm. So we, of what the we've whole seen series? now is yeah of the, of, of the, of the wow. series yeah, yeah of, or of the season. So yes, yeah. So oh, okay. So he's it's what what you're going to see next is probably the big story. So we've gotten some introductory stuff here. You're probably going to get a big story next episode and for the next few, and then the final episode will be this next director, which that that's typically the way they do it with the showrunners and directors. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the, the director of the, of the big final climactic episode, if they direct anything else, it's probably connected to that. Right. And Numenor yeah. next week, probably based yes. on what happens. I would think so, yeah. There's a, there's a trailer or a, a, a trailer out for um, episode three and it looks oh, like okay. they are going to Numenor. Okay. Cause um, that's the, cool. I also, that's the ship at the end, right? That, that they're yeah. re- Okay. I mean, assuming, assuming, yes. yeah. But it does play the Numenorean theme, yeah. uh, As mm-hmm. the ship pulls up. Oh, okay. I also saw on IMDb. I know that these might not be totally accurate, but it we might get more flashbacks in the coming episodes because it looks like Will Fletcher, who's playing Finrod, is in seven episodes this season. Oh wow! Mm. And that could be just totally like I know IMDb isn't totally official, but that got me very excited because I would absolutely love to see more Finrod because he, I thought he was a really good actor and he mm. did a great job. Gondolin, Gondolin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's just so much. There's so much. There's so We're going to spread it out. We're going to spread it out over five seasons, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping we get a, a flashback of Elrond's actor playing Elros. His brother who founds mm. Numenor. Oh, twin awesome. Cool. Yeah. That would be incredible. Yeah. We there's need, so much yeah. to look forward to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the I think it's the bottom line is it's still there's still a lot of potential, still a lot of hope. Um, despite whatever niggles and, and problems we might have so far, um, there's still a lot to look forward to. And I, I, I think and there's a lot of good themes unrolling out here and that we're gonna keep uh, looking for those and 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 dig into those because um it is tolkien it is you know the greatest the greatest work of english literature so that's my opinion anyway all right (laughs) let's wrap things up we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons make it possible for us to create the secrets of middle earth including jana d cindy d christopher k Catherine N and Lavinia S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of middle earth and all the shows at starquest and you can join them at sqpn.com slash give. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest. I need to ask for your help, but first, I want to thank you for listening to StarQuest and supporting our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture. We've added nine new shows since 2019, including, most recently, The Secrets of Middle-Earth, just in time for the new Amazon streaming series. And we have plans to add even more, but the network needs additional resources. We need to bring on more audio editors, 
video editors, and production equipment, including video equipment for Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and new shows we have in the planning stages. If you value this show and the other great shows on StarQuest, we need to hear from you now. If you're not yet one of our monthly patrons, please become one. And if you're already a patron, please consider increasing your monthly donation. There are many special patron benefits we'd like to give you, and you can learn more about them by going to sqpn.com give and clicking become a patron. Your support at this time is crucial, so please go to sqpn.com slash give today. That's sqpn.com slash give. We'd love to hear what you thought of the first two episodes of The Rings of Power. You can let us know at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth, on our Facebook page, on our Twitter. You can send an email to middleearth at sqpn.com or visit our uh, channel on the StarQuest Discord server at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing that next episode of The Rings of Power. Until then, Thomas Sanorho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Middle-Earth. It's been great. Thomas Salerno, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And Caitlin Fasista, thank you very much. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth on StarQuest. StarQuest wants to hear from you. We're conducting a survey of our audience. That's you, to help us in our planning for the future. Please take a moment and visit sqpn.com survey. We'll be selecting two participants to receive an Amazon gift card as an expression of our thanks. So visit sqpn.com survey today.